0: bum bum ba bum 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 bam ba bam bum bum bam ba bam bum bum bam ba bam bum bam bum ba bum 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 ba bum 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 ba bum 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 ba bum 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 Ba da da ba da da ba da
1: you are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson.
2: I'm Brad Gullickson.
1: And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-killer realm. In this episode, Stupid, Stupid Rat Creatures, we are braving unknown lands into the past with Jeff Smith talking about Thorn, the complete proto-bone college strips 1982 to 1986 from cartoon books.
2: I love the serendipity of this conversation because as of two and a half weeks ago, for the first time in my life, I am reading a newspaper strip day to day.
1: And is it because of my constant recommending and lauding of the comic strip as an art form that is very dear to me and close to my heart?
2: No, it's because (laughs) Flash Gordon is back, baby. Dan Skade and King Features are publishing Flash Gordon daily. It's syndicated nationally, but it appears in our Washington Post, and I love Dan Skate. I've been following his work for a long time, and obviously I've really enjoyed Flash Gordon in the many mediums I've encountered him, uh, primarily the Buster Crab, uh serials, but also, like, I'm a huge fan of that old 80s Flash Gordon Film, which we will be screening at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia on December 3rd. But I'm willing to give you a little credit, Lisa, because you have also gotten me to read Calvin and Hobbes for the first time. I just started reading Peanuts this very morning.
1: And how are you enjoying the ritual of reading comic strips? Because that was what my family did and still does every single morning.
2: Well, doing it daily with Flash Gordon is odd. Right, right. Because right. it, it, it's, it's a narrative strip, like there's a plot going on here, and I'm able to keep the story in my head, but when you get to a, like a certain strip, you get to, like, oh my gosh, he's finally going to face off with Ming, let's do this. Oh, I gotta wait 24 hours <laughs> until I read the next strip, and then the next strip is like a swerve, and it's not facing off with Ming, and you're like, ah!
1: Well, it's a practice. It was just like when I started reading Floppies when I started reading issues. Mm. Like, I had to practice what that experience was like. But, you know, I, I'd never read the narrative strips. Yeah,
0: yeah. I
1: was, I only re- read the funny ones. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I was shocked, shocked when I found out that my dad read <laughs> all of the funnies. In their entirety, including Mark Trail. Yep. yep and he's really disappointed yep. in the in the turn that Mark Trail has taken. Lately. And, and
2: he's not enjoying Flash Gordon. We yeah, went and not. had dinner with your folks the other day, and I was like, I can finally relate to Leo through strips. And I was like, Oh Leo, I've been reading Flash Gordon. He's like, I don't like that one. I was like, oh.
1: <laughs> like, his daughter, he hates change.
2: <laughs> so uh, you know, I got to, you know, like give him why I was really enjoying Flash Gordon and, and He seemed, uh, he seemed still skeptical, all right? But uh, we're gonna win him over, Dan. We're gonna win him over to Flash Gordon the way that you, Lisa, have somewhat won me over to strips as a form.
1: I remember after we got married and I moved in because we were very traditional. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Like, I remember going like, we need to now subscribe to the newspaper. (laughs) And you were like, why, and I was like, <laughs> because that's how you get the funnies, and you're like, it seems wasteful to, like, to subscribe. I forgot
2: about this.
1: <laughs> do you remember I, now, though?
2: I, I do shamefully remember this, Um, and I am sorry, and we <laughs> should have subscribed to the paper. Why was I such a jerk to deny you the funnies? Ugh, shameful.
1: Well, I, I don't think that you were denying me the funnies. I, like To me, it was like, okay, I would read the style section for the advice columns, and I would read the funnies, and then sometimes I would flip through the entertainment section. All of the rest was like what you laid down on the floor to paint your pottery or do your craft, <laughs> so you didn't get uh, you didn't get glue on the carpet.
2: Well, we have digital subscriptions to multiple newspapers, and I like it that way because yes, you know it's a lot of paper, right? It's a lot of waste. But I will say that I have gone out and purchased physical posts because i wanted the flash gordon strips in my hand and
1: my parents have have given us permission to raid their recycle bin whenever we come over and
2: we've done that for some of the daily flashes already um but i don't know like maybe 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 we should do it maybe we should subscribe to a physical paper lisa maybe i i i've learned the error of my ways and again I wish we could go back in time to that conversation in which I was like, don't be ridiculous, Lisa. (laughs) We will not subscribe to a paper because I think today I would say, yeah, sure. That
1: sounds fun. I since have accepted that that's not the only way you read the funnies, and that it is not a requirement upon waking to find a a strip that you enjoy and point it out to a loved one. Like there's a <laughs> <laughs> there's other things that we can share as a family together. But that's
2: like the behavior you saw as a child. Your mom or your dad would cut out a strip for the other and be like, "Check this out." Yeah, And yeah. that was love to you. Yeah, like and hearing, I denied that.
1: Hearing my dad's finger hit newsprint is, like, the most, like, nostalgic. Like, I could literally cry thinking about it. It is the most nostalgic sound to me. And his, like, little laugh. It's just, like... And then also, before bed, our mom would let us, like, pick one book to read. So we would get, like, one Bible story and we would get one book. Mm. And so Calvin and Hobbes was frequently what we read. And at that time, the volumes were, like rectangular, like the long way. Yeah. So you could like, if mom sits in the middle, you flop one side over Lisa's lap and one side over John's lap, and then wow, we are having like a Kodak moment. Mm. And yeah, yeah, like right now you're reading the Calvin and Hobbes from those like little tiny- Those new
2: digests.
1: And they are a very satisfying size. But to me, I feel like you're almost like not getting the full experience okay. because it's not, you're not like you're not like lying on your belly with this long expanse landscape mode strip.
2: And we've talked about Calvin and Hobbes off mic and I am not loving it the Yeah, way... and it
1: breaks my heart, like it makes me sick to know that you are not just head over heels for <laughs> and Calvin and Hobbes. And I'm
2: reading it kind of chronologically and maybe that's the mistake and that's also how I'm reading Peanuts, but I'm loving reading Peanuts chronologically. Like the early 50s stuff of Peanuts is so strange.
1: Yeah, like the, the early Peanuts stuff is like barely Peanuts. Right. Like it was like developing the idea, and then once Charles Schultz figured out what Peanuts was, he like shook off a bunch of stuff that and was really crabby. and.
2: That's a clearly present in the early Calvin and Hobbes but the early Calvin and Hobbes, while clever, are maybe not as are not as engaging as I want them to be. So maybe what I need to do, Lisa, is maybe we just go to a McKay's. used bookstore, yeah. McKay's, great, great selection, and you select the Calvin and Hobbes books that I should be reading.
1: I love that. I love that story. We could do that literally today, because we we're recording on a Saturday.
2: Check our Instagram at cbccpodcast. Podcast, see what books we got at McKay's.
1: I remember when Calvin and Hobbes ended, when Mm. we were getting that final Sunday strip. And it was like the end of an era in my house. Let me Google, let's pause, and let me Google what the date was. It was December 31st, 1995. And it ends with Calvin and Hobbes on a sled, saying, let's go exploring. Spoilers. Uh, Well, I mean, it's not spoilers. I'm going to give you (laughs) emotional spoilers. Okay. It is so. It was so touching and so moving to me at the at the time of this idea of like even though we weren't getting any more strips, Calvin and Hobbes was continuing to exist in the world, and and it does. uh, Like Calvin and Hobbes continues to exist in my life. I credit my entire like sense of humor and vocabulary to Calvin and Hobbes, mm. because Bill Watterson was not afraid of using a big word, and I was not afraid of using a big word after Calvin had used it. Mm. Oh,
2: man. Okay, yeah. Like Calvin and Hobbes also feels like a couple we need to cover on this podcast yes. in session at some point, uh, probably in 2024.
1: That makes me so happy, because when you were first going, like, I'm having a hard time getting into Calvin and Hobbes, it was like, heartbreaking to me (laughs) but you saying like well maybe i shouldn't start at the beginning because that is the proto calvin and Hobbes. like right he's still figuring the characters out he's still figuring out the mechanics of his own comic where with jeff smith and bone thorn his college strip was his proto strip and i think that for many years he was not comfortable being judged off of those early machinations of his characters. Yeah,
2: and he has put them out in different forms previously, but all of those previous forms have kind of been hard to get or very limited. This is the first time where it's like, here you go, gaze upon my first draft. And that's something that I would never do. Uh, You know, I've looked at my college writing and I am embarrassed by it. And I would never put it out into the world. And here's Jeff exposing himself for the benefit of his readers and bone obsessives, but also to the benefit for himself. He's looking back at his past self with warmth for the first time.
1: But Jeff Smith is a legend. Like, it takes the confidence of a legend. (laughs) Someone who knows, like, I have created something of tremendous cultural value. So I, like, To me, like, okay, that love tank is so full that to go back and look at a version of himself he decided not to be anymore with love is, like, a little bit easier than, like, us who, who like... Our
2: love tank's not as full. uh, We don't
1: have the self-confidence of of a Jeff Smith, nor do we deserve it. But I don't think that college-age Jeff Smith, when he was creating Thorne and writing those comics, I don't think that he knew necessarily that he was putting out like an incomplete thought like when you are a creative and when you are an artist you're putting out work all of the time
2: and you're also trying to put out the very best of yourself at that time but we're
1: all works in progress Yeah. yeah like you're gonna hear in the interview after he finished that college strip he had a time of turmoil and kind of like fallowness where he was trying to sell this comic and it just was not working. That experience of rejection, I think, kind of reflects backwards and taints what he did before. And I think, I I imagine that it's tremendously healing for him to now put this work out and go like, even though nobody accepted it at the time, there is a worthiness in this project that I made.
2: Lisa and I have wanted to have this conversation with Jeff for a year now. Uh, Longtime listeners know that Jeff came on the podcast to talk about Tukey. We had a great time Chatting about that wonderful book, uh, but of course Lisa and I are longtime Bone fanatics, and we have wanted to have the ultimate Bone conversation with Jeff Smith. The way that we've had those conversations with Daniel Warren Johnson about Do a Power Bomb, or the Somnies last week talking about John and the Impossible Monsters. Of course, Dan Slott talking about his Mike Allred run on Silver Surfer.
1: But this conversation is not that.
2: It's not that, but it also is kind of part one of what that will ultimately be. We are going to have the ultimate bone conversation with Jeff Smith, and this is the beginning of Mm -hmm. that.
1: Yeah, we're definitely laying some groundwork. And it's way more process heavy than the conversations that we usually have on comic book couples counseling. Generally, we are a lot more story focused. But I think that Jeff Smith's personal story is reflected truly through Bone.
2: Well, Jeff Smith is an incredibly unique cartoonist, Mm -hmm. right? He created Phone Bone when he was five years old, and then he carried Phone Bone through his childhood, into his teenage years, into his college years, and into his adult life. And there are not really too many cases. I can't even really think of one right now like that, and the question of why that is, why has Phonebone stayed with him through all his various life transitions is at the heart of this conversation. And Jeff, I don't think has really explored an answer to that question before.
1: Because he's never not been, like his entire like cognizant memory has phone bone in it. Like, yeah. like, um, he
2: is phone bone.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and phone bone is a person, I feel like, to him. I don't Absolutely. think he would necessarily say it that way, but yeah. And I truly think that Jeff Smith is like a spring. Like, some people, when they are creative, they are sponges and they absorb a lot. And then from that place, they create. Like, when I was five years old, there was this television show on PBS called The Secret City, hosted by Commander Mark, and he would do drawing, little like drawing demonstrations, and then the show would always end with him drawing this little fuzz character and this elaborate floating city. And I drew... Commander Mark's little fuzzy guy all of the time. <laughs> and I would try to imitate it and I would I would draw Garfield and I would draw the Ninja Turtles, even though I wasn't I didn't watch the show. Like I would imitate, but it never occurred to me to go like, now I'm going to come up with my character. And I think that that is how like Jeff is different. Like he always had it in his mind of like,
2: this is my guy.
1: From what I have seen, I am springing forth a new idea.
2: Yeah, I love Karl Barks' Duck Comics, I love Pogo, I love Disney, I love Peanuts. I could do something like that, but it's gotta be my thing. This new Thorn collection is currently up on Kickstarter. As of this recording, there are 11 days left to back it. We've backed it. And if you love Jeff Smith and Bone as much as we do, these strips really are the best window into Jeff Smith and understanding the Bone saga even better.
1: From what I take from this upcoming conversation there is an unfilteredness to them that we don't get from the bone saga cuz the bone saga is a more complete thought like so thorn was the the area where he tried with enthusiasm all of the ideas that he likes right and then bone is okay now just the good stuff maybe but like but it's also like okay maybe strips was not the format for phone bone and for thorn and for grandma ben the format is the stapled comic. And he did the same thing with Tukey. He's like, Tukey is a webcomic. Oh no, it's not a webcomic. It is a single issue. Oh no, it's not a single issue. It is a landscape format volume that you throw over your lap.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the reasons why he was able to do that is because he learned such a valuable lesson in transitioning from thorn to bone that the hard reset has power he's not afraid to get that eraser out, you know? Mm-hmm. He does the first pass, he hones his idea, and then relaunches.
1: Yeah, and, and we get to watch as fans, which is, I think, is, like, weird. Like, you know, like yeah, we get director's cuts of movies sometimes, like, ah, you know? But for the most part, we see a finished product, or we we see a product that somebody has deemed as done, where, I think, because Jeff is empowered by self-publishing, he can go like, this is a great idea! Oh no, I'm taking it back. I'm redoing it. Still a great idea.
2: It is weird. It is unusual, but it's also a privilege. And when you get like DVD extras like the Thorn Proto Bone book, you got to take advantage of it. And you know, you got to take advantage of a conversation like this one. I think there is a lot of insight in this conversation and it will enhance my further readings of Bone.
1: And further readings of anything. Like Jeff is giving us a glimpse into the life cycle of a good idea. And good ideas make up the books we love, like the books we're talking about in our referral.
2: Sponsored by Omnibus. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital.
1: Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top-tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today.
2: The idea is to give our counselees, that's you guys, further reading on the themes of the episode. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books.
1: My recommendation has to do with that conversation we were having at the beginning of this episode of like, I found other ways to read strips. Mm. And one of the ways that I read strips is on Twitter. I'm just scrolling and then all of a sudden there is a solid joke in my feed and it's how I've discovered artists like Nathan Pyle, Mr. Lovenstein, and Zach Extra Fabulous. So my recommendation is actually a book of collected strips called "Good Comics for Bad People" an extra fabulous collection by Zach. I just call him Zach extra fabulous, but his name is Zach M. Stafford. These comics are about as far as you could get from family friendly.
2: This is <laughs> They're this pretty dark. <laughs> this would not be included
1: in our nighttime comics reading ritual in my house. You know, it wouldn't be like a Bible story. And um, Zach extra fabulous, but um, to me, I think that like Zach's comics are super irreverent, very funny, and sometimes so dark that like like I go like I don't know if I can like this one because somebody might see that I've liked it and think less of me.
2: On your feed. (laughs) On Twitter. But you know what? You'll get a chuckle, but then you withhold the like to withhold the judgment. Just,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because
2: everyone's going into Comic Book Couples Counseling's likes and be like, what are they liking? (laughs) We're not Sam Jackson, Lisa.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, To me, humor sometimes has a a dark underbelly and Zach loves to live there. But generally, when I'm reading Zach's comics, I'm reading them for free. And so it feels so good to be able to actually spend my hard-earned money on something that really brings me a lot of joy and laughter every single day.
2: And we've actually been reading this book this past week. Yeah. And what happens when you read Zach's comics like, in a long... Stretch, right? Yeah, like a -a rat-a-tat
1: of like a, like a. Machine gun.
2: You enter this like intoxicated state mm. and it's not just a single chuckle. Like they build on each other and after 50 pages of Extra Fabulous, you're drunk.
1: Yes, there's like a wastedness. But following. in a good way. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So um, the rating on Omnibus is 17 plus. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, it's available available. With the promise of a volume two, because this one is called volume one.
2: And we've done an email interview with Zach.
1: He doesn't do, he, he doesn't, doesn't do podcasts. podcasts. No,
2: no. So we did an email interview with him and that will be dropping on the site hopefully this week. We're eagerly anticipating his A's to our Q's.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Brad. Yeah. Yeah. What is your referral?
2: My referral? My
1: referral? Yeah, your
2: referral. (laughs) My referral is not a strip. I like the direction that you went in, but I decided to gravitate towards the world building that Jeff Smith does in Bone. And I wanted to highlight a mythology that starts off kind of small, but cool and then explodes into something large in the same way that the mythology in Bone does.
1: Yes, I love that.
2: And like Bone, it smashes a bunch of genres together in a very satisfying way. I am talking about The Sixth Gun by Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt. All the volumes are currently available on Omnibus. Uh, Hurt has a very cartoony style that at first you don't think jives with the material, but as the story goes along, you can't imagine it in any other aesthetic. And also like bone when violence occurs because it's being told in Jeff Smith's cartoony style the impact of that violence is almost more extreme than what you would experience in like Hostel mm-hmm. or a saw movie right <laughs> Brian Hertz illustrations are fun and breezy you feel safe and then suddenly someone's head gets taken off yikes. and yikes indeed the six gun plot involves six magical or mystical pistols each one when you pull the trigger has a different superpower really? for a lack of a better word. And various agents are trying to gather these pistols after the civil war for devious means, obviously. And as the series goes along and you learn a little bit more about the history of these pistols, you realize that these characters are in one of those giant primordial good versus evil battles. And like Bone, as you were reaching the conclusion of this series, as I was reaching the conclusion of bone, I got a little sad. And when I was reaching the conclusion of the six gun, I was a little sad, but it is all done. It is all told. And all the stories are available on Omnibus.
1: Links to these books on the Omnibus app are in our show notes. Keep in mind, it is not a subscription service. It is a pay per book, just like a real comic book store. Referrals.
2: It's been so heartwarming to see the Thorn Kickstarter do so well. We're already in stretch goal territory, and I think we're going to unlock a whole bunch of extra treasures here. And as you may know, Jeff Smith recently had a heart attack and he had to cancel his promotion around *Thorn* and also Bone More Tall Tales, which is out now from Scholastic. And he hasn't been able to do as much promotion as he would have liked. And his fan base still came through.
1: Yes, of course we would.
2: And that's where we start our conversation with Jeff Smith talking about recovering from that heart attack and being in kind of like the perfect place to reflect on Thorn in the beginnings of Bone.
1: This is our Empire Strikes Back of Jeff Smith conversations. (laughs) There's already the promise of a third conversation and the third conversation will be my favorite because that's the one with the Ewoks.
2: (laughs) You're a Return of the Jedi girl. Well, I am an Empire Strikes Back guy. And I, I can see this one being my favorite of the three Jeff Smith conversations. I don't know why we have to limit ourselves to a I don't know. Trilogy. I, regret,
1: I regret my metaphor, but, um, but I do love this conversation.
2: Here it is. Jeff, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello.
3: Hello. It's great to be back. Really great to
2: be back. It is great to have you back. You've had a wild batch of months here recently. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing well. I am 99% uh, back. Uh, I, I feel perfectly normal. I can't tell that I had anything go wrong. And we were talking beforehand I, when I had the heart attack, I didn't, I didn't know it. It just, I just woke up later in the hospital. Thank God Vijaya was in the house uh, and called the emergency squad and they got there. They're only like two blocks away from us. So they got there really quick. So that, Everything was as good as it could be, and um, you know, I woke up sometime in the hospital, and it was all over. I, I, uh, well, Vijaya says I, 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 my eyes weren't focused, and I, I couldn't see anything, and mm. was waving my arms around like a child or like an infant. But I got through it. Uh, I'm out. I've been exercising. I'm drawing again. Uh, I feel pretty good.
2: Yay. Yeah, we're so thankful for that. And I know that we had lots of listeners reach out to us and and were curious as how you were doing and you put out some videos of all the love that you've been getting, all the cards and packages, care packages that you've been getting. And so it's been really nice just to see the community circle the wagons around you. Well
3: as as we were t- saying just before we went on went live. Yeah, I really could not get over the amount of get well cards that were not just get well soon, but they they wrote on every surface of the cards and talked about. Uh, oh shoot, I'm starting to get emotional. <laughs> no, um, no,
0: okay. yeah.
3: But not only did the card- comics community really back me up, and, and I like I said, I got hundreds of cards. But my just my immediate neighbors they really helped Vijaya, helped Vijaya a lot, and they brought over food and. Oh, it was amazing. So it's, everybody was just terrific. I, I I just have no idea why we deserved it. <laughs> oh.
1: I know that when your uh, cardiac arrest happened, you were getting ready to go on tour and you had all of these big, exciting plans. And then of course, yeah. God said, ha, huh, and, yeah. and changed the plans on you. Like, how was it um, reconstructing what getting back to business was going to be like
3: well yeah i mean well we've been on we've been kind of on tour for a while we did the 66 part of the tour that was very fun uh and yeah we then we had the big east coast part which we were just getting ready to do and i was very sad to cancel new york comic con and um just a a bunch of things i I, cxc my own festival and i i didn't i couldn't go to it um so that was that was hard uh but, you know, you have to, you have to recuperate. So, uh, but getting back on track, I didn't get back on track with uh, touring, but uh, this Kickstarter with publishing, you know, this collection of all the old pre-bone college strips. That was, we were right in the middle of that when I had my heart attack. And I, been, and thank God I've got the same team. You know, the, there's four of us, me, Vijaya, Kathleen Glosen and Tom Gott, and we've been together for two decades, and they kept it going. We, I mean, fortunately, we kind of had the the plan. We'd had we, we knew exactly what we were shooting for when I got sick, uh, and so they kept it going. And so when I when I was able to get back to it, it was it hadn't ground to a stop, and I was able to just jump back in, and we've got the book. Oh, the book looks. Beautiful. We're so excited. Tom uh, worked with uh, the Billy Ireland Library, uh, and they scanned because they, that's where all the original art for the comics were for the comic strips it was held there. And Tom re-scanned all of them with the help of, uh, of the, the staff there. But then we, we brought them home, and then he in Photoshop he got all you know any you know my my old pen faded uh, that I lettered with. I wow. mean, inked yeah so the the lettering was faded but the 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 characters and drawings were all still pretty solid but not completely so he had he had to do all this repair work uh and so all that was done so it's all all together we've got the book together we're actually going through a final you know okay everybody read it with uh paying attention because we've got to catch anything anything now Mm -hmm. so it's it's all ready to go and of course the kickstarter was just a Mind-blowing uh, success, and we still have like a week and a half to go, or something.
2: Yeah, we got to get we got to unlock a bunch of those uh, secret goodies.
3: Hey, those goodies are awesome too. I actually want some of those. <laughs> <laughs> Tom put together. He came up with the idea of the doing the evolution of, of phone bone. Yeah, because uh-huh. when we were getting ready to do this project, one of the reasons we decided to do it was because my folks. We're just moving into an assisted living situation. And I was over there helping them move. And we were cleaning out the attic and the garage. And we came across all these boxes that I had stashed there that I forgot all about. And my mom had kept everything, including the very first drawing of phone book. and And all the drawings I did when I was like nine and ten. Oh. So we have all this early phone book material and he strung together a little group of pictures of phone bone morphing in from the five-year-old draw five-year-old me drawing into uh, you know the bone comic strip character it was really fun and he he did one of thorn really quick too because there's a period when between high school and going to osu where i was just working and i was I was really into Frazetta and heavy metal Mm
0: -hmm. and
3: these all of a sudden this there were more monsters in my little bone world uh and then and sexy sexy women with
0: yeah
3: yeah you always see their butts and their little metallic (laughs) string bikinis and uh I and I found one of those that she, I mean, it's it's the first drawing of Thornton and at the very bottom of it, I wrote Thorn at the bottom. So we're going to have all that in the books. We're very excited about the book. We're excited about the Kickstarter. Um, we're excited that I'm here. So... <laughs>
2: yes. <laughs>
3: Looking on the right side.
2: Take us back to five-year-old Jeff Smith uh, when he doodled Phone Bone for the first time. I don't know if you can actually channel that memory but, like, what kind of kid were you that created Phone Bone?
3: Uh, I, that's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I was a, I always enjoyed, you know, the Sunday Funnies, the paper and comic books and loved cartoons on TV. Bugs Bunny, man, I love that stuff. Um, I also like to draw. I mean, I just love mm-hmm. drawing. I like crayons and pencils and paper. And my mom and my grandmother, um when we when we would see that my grandparents they they would my grandmother would work in like some local government office and would bring reams of old paper home and give them to me and I had crayons and I was just always drawn um and I knew that and I was a kid and I I would look at peanuts I loved peanuts I was five years old, I I saw uh, uh, you know, Peanut's Christmas special the first year it was on. Mm-hmm. And I loved that stuff. So when I would read Snoopy and Charlie Brown and I would see Charles M. Schultz. I knew Charles M. Schultz made Snoopy.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, Walt Disney used to actually be on TV every Sunday night introducing um, The Wonderful World with Color is what they called it when he was still alive. And I knew that he made up Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck, and I thought oh, I I want to do that. I want to do that, and I made up a number of characters. Uh, and I remember drawing that that first drawing, which you'll see and when as this campaign goes on, uh, he's just like a little round ball with stick arms and he's a wide open mouth. And uh, I was in my parents' living room. I was drawing. I was. They were in like the next room watching TV or something. And I remember just this character, for some reason, I actually. I I could see through his eyes and I started saying, well, what would he look like if his mouth was closed or what would he look like if he turned his head a little bit and you were looking at him from the back? What did he look like? And I'd never wondered that before about any character. And he kind of just stuck with me and, uh, I, I don't know why I even, even just through school, it was just what I was the kid that was always drawing and I would draw, you know, FOMO would be climbing up the lines of the notebook paper oh. when I was supposed to be listening to math class. Right?
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, I, um, I had a, I had a, a, a schoolmate when I was like in first grade, now grown up. Married, she has a, she has children. She wrote to me. I said, "My kids love your your bone books, but my kids are starting to get in trouble because they're drawing in class. Yeah. And, um, and 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 Will you write to them and tell them not to do that?" <laughs> I said, "I'm sorry, I can't do that. That's that's where I did my best stuff." <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, like when I was preparing for this interview, um, I was looking at other interviews with you. And you get the question all of the time of like, what's your recommendation to an individual who wants to, you know, who wants to create their own bone, wants to create their own comic, and you generally give like the, you know, like just do it, you know, like that kind of advice of like <laughs> get yourself out there. But at the I'm same sure time, that's, like I'm
3: sure that's helpful.
1: And, and, well, the thing is, like, I I I listen to that and I go like, well, you know, what you need to do to become Jeff Smith is first you have to be five years old and you have to start yeah. at five. And by the way, it's too late.
0: Like,
1: like when you were drawing bone, when you were five, or even when you were drawing bone in high school and the margins of your notebooks and stuff, did you have in your mind, like, I'm doing career building right now. This is, I'm setting up a really successful future for myself. Or were you just like living in the moment being yourself?
3: I, I, I mean on what there was a level of me that was like saying I want I want to do a comic strip like Charles Schultz like peanuts or Pogo was also a big big favorite of mine yeah um and there was also you know or I want to go work for Disney or something but there was also another part of me that was like that's not a real job even mm-hmm. I, I don't know if people were telling me that in high school um or if I just I, I know I don't remember why I thought that, but I do remember very clearly thinking that try okay, why would I be a cartoonist? That's like wanting to be a movie star. Mm-hmm. It's not really it's not really gonna happen. But uh I in fact I, I kept drawing the phone bone more out of I don't know, just out of fun. Uh it was just I love doing it. I I like make if I got a C on my on a paper, I used to love just having someone stand there
0: screaming bloody murder <laughs> at
3: the at that letter C. Uh, but it wasn't until my senior year in high school that I I was you know I had like three art teachers. There were like three different art teachers. Um, two of them did not click with me at all. Um, we did. I mean, I well, I mean, they they I got Fs
0: mm-hmm. and
3: C's wow. and um, I mean, I could talk to them and everything, but they thought I was a, they thought I was a joke. That you are, you are, you are wasting your time. Uh, but the third one understood it, and I, and you know, I'm going, I'm going into like the painting class, art class, where you do, where you really, you know, you stretch your canvases and you do paintings, and I do paintings of like. Gorgeous atmospheric uh, jungles, waterfalls in the background, and out of the mist is coming some giant fucking ape. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I and they were pretty. I thought they were pretty good paintings, but I had, like I said, I had the two teachers that just were like, "Ugh, Smith." (laughs) 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 But like I said, the third one, the third one got it. And I went to him at one point, senior, senior in high school. Now and I started, started thinking about what am what am I doing. Um, and he was like helping me, sign, you know, apply for scholarships at like the Columbus College of Art and Design, which is a, a nationally a well thought of art college. Uh, and I told him, hey, well, can you, he was just asking me, what do you want to do? I was like, well, you know, I, I'm thinking about maybe going to Disney. You know, I could. I think I could be an animator, and he goes, "Jeff, you wouldn't make it at Disney." Mm-hmm. And at first, I was kind of, I was kind of hurt, like he, like he was saying, I wasn't, I couldn't draw, and but he wasn't saying that. He was saying, "You're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't listen to anything anyone in <laughs> authority says, and that's what Disney is." That is one big, everybody has to draw exactly the same way and do exactly what they're taught in in, in an effort to do this combined thing. And I think he was right. I think he saved my life. Mm. So I didn't do that. I ended up just going to CCAD, although I switched over to OSU because they had the lantern where I could do comics. Right. but uh, I did not go to Disney, and, it's, and in fact, in 1978, this was before The Little Mermaid by, you know, eight eight or nine years or something. And it, it, you know, Walt was gone, and they were kind of struggling. They weren't really doing animation anymore, like The Black Hole.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: so I don't know what I, I mean. A lot of my favorite people came out of Disney at that time, like Tim Burton. Those
2: guys, yeah, but so Tim Burton came out depressed out of Disney. Like yeah. he, he escaped Disney at that time. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so my, so my good art teacher, uh, he helped me. He, he made me avoid that.
2: So when you eventually go to OSU, uh, because the Lantern gives you the opportunity to do a daily strip, and you start to form Thorn and Phone Bone is part of it, like. what's so unique about your path is that phone bone has been there since practically the beginning. And when it was time to do a daily strip phone bone is still like locked into your imagination. Yeah, no question. And I'm sure it's hard to, really get you on the couch and figure out why that separate, is but, yeah separate jeff
1: from bone <laughs> right, bone
2: right but why is it like why you, really, phone I, you
3: really can't you know, I don't. i don't want to we shouldn't look into that too closely <laughs> <laughs> but there's but there's a guy there's a guy who's short small has a big nose um <laughs> that's pretty much what i was in uh elementary school
0: mm-hmm. uh
3: and and uh A lot of my personality is in that character. I am Fogon, pretty much. I'm all the characters. Mm. Even Grandma Ben. (laughs) Mm. I I have a very short attention span for people that are uh, idiots. I really don't need, I don't (laughs) have time for that. But, um, well, I I started to talk about this uh, before, when I was talking about when Thorne kind of came into the picture. Mm -hmm. I had up until high school. I had been very much under the thrall of talking animals—Bugs Bunny, Pogo, Snoopy, uh, Mickey, Donald. Every—I mean, I—that I was into that kind of comic, and that's where—and Bone mostly is part of that. In fact, Boneville—if we could go to Boneville—it would be something like. I'm sure Phony Bone has an Uncle Scrooge money bin somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's that's that's that was that world until like maybe middle school. Uh, that's when I discovered, you know, Tarzan, Conan, and Conan the Barbarian. The paperback covers, the Valentine paperback covers, when I was in middle school, were Frank Frazetta, and they were. The best things I'd ever seen. They were better than anything I'd ever seen on TV. Better than anything in the comics. They were sexy and perfect and exciting. I I loved them. Frazetta was is a huge fan of mine. And it was then, it was in high school under the under like Neil Adams, uh, Frank Frazetta, Joe Kubert that side of comics and fantasy art sucked me in and it was that at that point i got interested in drawing you know monsters and uh s- sexy women who just just perfect perfect sexy women that don't aren't wearing anything mm-hmm. and uh and i'm just you know i'm only like in eighth grade or something but i'm i got pretty good at it <laughs> my friends all love my drawings. <laughs> um but I don't know why I wouldn't have just abandoned the my child nourishment of yeah. you know Snoopy and Phone Bone. Uh, instead, phone bone came along and was the star. <laughs> I, I don't know. I can't, I don't I've never really thought about that until this very interview.
2: It's it's just so interesting to me because you know, I I had a similar trajectory just as a, a, a consumer of stories where I was into Disney and duck comics and things like that. And then I discovered Frazetta, heavy metal. And you, like for me, I jettisoned the childish, what I deemed as childish uh, things for like, ooh, more mature bikini women. Yeah. But what, <laughs> what's fascinating yeah. to me is that you you got into that, you know, adolescent stuff, but you kept phone bone, and that really is fascinating to me.
1: I remember early, so I didn't grow up reading staple comics. I I was yeah. raised on strips. I was raised on funnies, like that's what we read. I remember Brad giving me bone the first time when oh, yeah. we were dating, and the introduction of Thorn, and and she's not a Frizetta girl by any means. She's very no, beautiful, not, no, not but but. Thorn. But even then, like as a person who read Strips, I was like, it's weird that Thorne is so hot. And it's also <laughs> weird. It's also weird that Bone is so enamored with her. Yeah, totally. It was like bizarre to me, you know, because I was like you know, so listen, when hot. I was
3: when I was at this point in my life that we're talking about,
0: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> I had a crush on every single woman,
0: mm-hmm. young
3: woman. In in school, everyone. I mean, I just had a crush on every girl, and I was uh, terrified to talk to any of them. <laughs> and occasionally, you know, in high school, then you know, you grow up and you you get friends and you finally start ha- asking asking girls out and stuff. But at that point, at this at this mixture point in like maybe from the seventh grade to about the ninth grade, uh, and I was. I, I just was a geek. I was a total geek.
1: One of my favorite elements of of bone, like like of phone bone specifically is that, you know, when he first meets Thorn, you know, he he's so smitten with her and he's suffering all of these micro rejections from her that she doesn't even realize that she's like sending out. Yeah, and, and what his admiration matures into is this kind of reverence and yeah, yeah. loyalty, which I, yeah. I think is like such a beautiful thing.
3: Oh, thank you. I I, well, I I think that is what happened. I mean, I never wanted to have them even kiss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually had them kiss one time in the college strips, but it was sort of like after a real big traumatic event happens and Thorne just kind of gives him a big kiss almost like, Almost like she just needed to like get that out of her system or something. I don't know. Had nothing to do with phone, phone Uh But I was like, no, that's no, no. I did it. It's fine. They play. I play it off as a joke. But I was like, they. When I did the comic, I brought her back. She's still a little bit of a. The comic strips were not the heavy metal Frisetta stuff. They were, but Thorn still was much sexier. In fact. I remember when um, a couple of times we've done small reprints of some of the strips I did like the first half of a year of my college strips. I did in 1984 in a book called Thorn Tales from the Lantern. Mm-hmm. And then once more in like 2008, we did a little book to raise money for the Billy Ireland. Um, and she sold, I, I, wanted, I told her you can, you could sell, 3,000 of these but she she's you know used to the academic world where well we'll make maybe 700 of them or whatever she did <laughs> Of course she sold out immediately. <laughs> but uh, I noticed online people were seeing that and there was this sentiment that was basically you know the thorn in thorn is a lot sexier than the thorn in bone And that's true but but by the time I did bone, I knew what I was doing. The strips, which I didn't remember this. I, I had not read them in 40 years. Um, the, the the comic strip was a little bit like a variety show. Mm-hmm. There was a story. There was a story. Um, you had Grandma and the phone bone from Boneville, and the dragon. And you also had the rat creatures and the hooded one. But it was like, for no reason at all that I would just forget that story for a while and tell jokes. So there was it was a little bit like watching the Sonny and Share show, mm-hmm. which you guys probably don't even remember. But, you know,
1: I've heard about be, it. Yeah. History. Well,
3: <laughs> they, well, it was like a variety show. That's what the yeah. comic strip was. I would do I would do jokes about politicians. Then I would go back and tell Ooh adventure stories with the rat creatures. and The ones are after the bones. Why are they after them? Uh, and then just do some funny jokes. Just do that kind of stuff, which kind of works, although I was really surprised when I was reading it. I was like, oh, this is not what I remembered at all. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I think it actually works in a completely different way than how Bone works.
2: Yeah, so I want to get to revisiting it, like the emotional experience of going back to these early strips and, and and seeing your college-age self. I recently was given a box from my father of my college papers and books, and mm. he had been going through them and looking at what I had been writing, and then he <laughs> handed it to me, and I read it, and I was mortified that my father had met this version of myself. So, <laughs> I, like, what is it like to see that Jeff Smith today?
3: Uh, it's, well... I- it, at first I was surprised and shocked, and I was like, "Oh man, this!" Is, because I had this feeling in the back of my mind that those strips were horrible. I mean, I felt like they were out and out horrible. No one ever needs to see them again. Well, I discovered they're not horrible; they're just not bone. They're they're pre-bone. Uh, I in fact, I I call them proto-bone on the cover of the right. book. Uh, because it is it's definitely Bone, and it's definitely Thorn and Grandma, and there were Great Red Dragon and Phony Bone's there, and they're all there. But the vehicle is like an, a variety hour instead of the concentrated uh, Lord of the Rings type of a scenario that Bone was. I, 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 I figured out that Bone knew what it was. It was a story. Thorn did not know what it was, and it did, that wasn't the that wasn't the point. Right. It was fine. I mean, I put myself in the strip. There's a bunch of times where I go into the strip, but mostly mm. the characters could come out of the strip and sit on my drawing board and talk to me and stuff.
1: Oh, I love that. Uh,
3: which does not happen in the comic book at all. <laughs> <laughs> But it worked. It, it kind of works.
1: I like some of my favorite like Looney Tunes cartoons would be when um, when Bugs Bunny would or no, Staffy Duck would pop out and talk. Like it always took me into an uncanny valley where I'm like, this is scary. I'd
0: break the
2: fourth wall. Yeah, like, yeah. the fourth wall. Sometimes you would get the pencil that would come in and er- erase his bill or something like that. Exactly. Yeah.
1: What was it like for you at that time? Producing a daily strip, like, did you feel any kind of like pressure, or did you learn something about yourself as a creator, p- putting yourself in that position? I,
3: I, I think there was pressure, but I, I was having such a good time yeah that I, it didn't bother me. I did it basically every day. It, the paper ran Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. so and I, I wasn't in there every single day because you know there's days off and you know. Christmas, whatever, but basically, it was in there five days a week for three years, solid. And then the fourth year, I did one last full page cartoon for uh, the campus humor magazine called the Sundial. So, i I learned. I mean, I learned so many things that were that were I needed to learn. I had to learn how to draw. My little, my drawings with backgrounds and stuff. How thin of a line would make it through the process of being shrunk, shot with a shitty campus camera, mm-hmm. and then printed on shitty newsprint? You know, and if you were too delicate, that wouldn't make it through because it gets shrunk. Like, I well, for me, it was like about a sixty percent, almost half size.
0: Yeah.
3: So I had I learned that. Uh I had to learn tricks about how do you how do you keep someone into the story? You, their first panel has to remind them what it was yesterday And then you've got that you've got three panels to build up to a what's that gonna be tomorrow kind of thing. So I I, I I learned so much. I learned about I learned how to draw, I learned how to be funny. I did things that, caught me off guard, got me that were even funnier and crazier than I thought I could go.
1: I know that you had in the back of your mind this idea that someone would come along and find your comic and then syndicate it and then you would <clears> have <throat> your strip. Yeah. But that that didn't happen? And and, and I wonder, I wonder if that influenced like how you felt about it in the future of like, well, nobody picked it up, therefore it must have been like not good. It is am I just am I projecting there like did it feel like a rejection that nobody picked no
3: no no well you know it definitely felt like a rejection but it also uh it made me it made me mad mm. because that comic I I, I I later on thought that the drawings were not very good and the jokes and it, you know and it had had me in the strip and it just the, the story was all disjointed. But at that time, the, the strip was very popular uh, in at OSU, and it was like it was read by like fifty thousand students a day.
0: Yeah,
3: and the and the editors liked it. I mean, they would like like in the bottom corner of the front page would be like the little table of contents, and a lot of times they would put a little cut a little drawing out of the comic strip and say, "Oh, how's Phone going to get out of this today?" Ooh, I mean yeah. they actually thought that was they thought the strip was, you know, that people were reading the com the paper for the strip and that they would, oh, I gotta go see what's happening with the phone bone and form. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it was not and I knew that people liked it. I got letters. I mean, I was one of the only people that there got that got letters to say people loved me. I mean, mean, most of them, you know, were writing editorial cartoons or whatever. People were writing established they hate them. (laughs) I'm laughing because, um, Durf, you know, Durf Baxter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he went to OSU and was, he and I are the same age, but I didn't go to school for like four years. Uh, so when I went there, he was at his last year and he was doing, he was the editorial cartoonist at the Mm Lantern. And I, and my and my best friend Jim Kemper, who's also a cartoonist, we were crazy about his stuff. We loved his style. We loved his the way he thought. But you know, I, and I didn't really get to know him in school as much. But once he started doing, you know, you know Kent State, uh, and you know, and I would see him on the circuit and got to know him. Uh, it, it was. I just think this guy's a genius but i was i just i was you know i just was i had all this i knew that it wasn't bad right too many people included that's what it was durf liked it, oh. and the, the the fact that the syndicates they just worked my ass off for two years i had two i can't remember i think it was king features and Tribune media syndicates yeah were the two that were into it and they would go and they would have little comments. You know, I'd do like a month's worth of samples for them and send them to them. And they wouldn't send me a contract. They would. We would have a talk. And they were always trying to get me to do things. And I slowly realized that King Features especially were looking for a certain kind of a comic.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: In fact, that's what the Tribune was, too. They were looking for... They didn't want the world building that I was doing. They wanted, they wanted silly strips. And I had enough silly strips that they saw I could do it. But they really, it, it took me months to figure this out. But they basically wanted to just get rid of everybody except the bones. Just do a bone strip. Mm. Uh, and, and just, that would be it. That would be great. I'm like, well, but I don't want to do that. I want to do this story. I mean, and eventually it'll come to an end. And they were like, oh. Continuity strips don't sell anymore. I'm mm-hmm. I mean, like, continuity strips are what your livelihood is based on. Mm-hmm. Dick Tracy, Steve Canyon, everything.
2: Yeah, pretty I Alley mean, Alley.
3: even Doonesbury and yeah. Calvin Hobbs, they wanted Calvin Hobbs, but they didn't really understand it.
0: Mm-hmm. They didn't
3: understand why. Cal- Actually, when I first started talking to the syndicates, Calvin wasn't out yet. Mm-hmm. So I started talking to him in like 84 and so i was actually was talking to the syndicates and trying to get them to give me a contract when he came in and i have talked to him a little bit about this since then but he was doing or i and i've also read him talking about it he was coming in and had a similar situation where calvin was just a character in a strip about young adults right that was funny um, but they were looking for they they Thought, That's your diamond right there. Get Calvin out of there. And he was willing to do it. He was also willing to sell them the rights. I wasn't, because my hero of heroes is Walt Kelly. Mm-hmm. Every day, every comic since I was in the fourth grade has copyright 1967 by Walt Kelly. Copyright 1972 by Walt Kelly. He owned that strip. Mm-hmm well that was that was a deal breaker for every syndicate i talked to and uh, i after 2 years i was like they're not going to change their minds so i just said i'm done guys sorry mm-hmm. i thought maybe they might go oh we'll discuss this no they were like okay
2: sorry <laughs> mm. so then the drive is to put it out yourself and that is such a herculean effort and i know you've spoken about it before but i am curious as to your emotional state at that point like like now you're determined
1: yeah and you also have vijaya on your team too
2: yeah vijaya
3: vijaya and i met it at right when we started osu and she actually helped me publish that Tales from the Lantern, mm-hmm. and the two of us. I, I still can picture Vijay carrying like we handmade like wooden counter stands with big uh, with a big cutout of the dragon. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can still picture Vijay with like three of those. She can't <laughs> even see. We're walking around campus <laughs> with those, that go to the different bookstores and stuff, and I'm carrying the books. So she's been with me the whole time, and totally supportive in every way so that 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 helps but when i when i quit that when i quit trying to i mean I, I ended ended doing the comic strip in like 84 and i spent probably the next 2 years just totally wasting my time with the syndicate's i mean they were totally nice and they were encouraging, but it was pretty clear that they, they it, I had to, I had to do what they wanted, not what I wanted. I wanted to do, full boat and thorn, and they and heavy metal, and they didn't want to do that. So I realized that, and I finally just said, okay, that's enough of that. Uh, and so there was a couple of years, there was a few years there where I really thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it. The comic strip dream is over. But uh, and, and and I started an animation company with my my best friend from childhood Jim Cameroon, and uh, and my one of our best new friends from college Marty Fuller, and we started up a, a thing called Character Builders, and we called it. It was an animation studio. We were thinking we knew people in the media business in Columbus, and we thought we could we could do this, and we could probably you know do some local. PSAs or something, um, and so we 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 got together a little animation studio, and that we learned a lot there too. We, I learned about how to run a company,
0: mm-hmm. I learned
3: how to have a business sense, um, and I knew how to get things done on deadline. Uh, but sometime, so that happened probably around 1986, and somewhere in that same. Time period, I saw a, an article about dark Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns in my local Columbus Dispatch in the Sunday mm. section. There was like a two or three page story in color about this Batman comic. Mm. And I'm like, well, that, that I'd never seen that before talking about comics in, in the real media that a grown up might see.
0: Mm-hmm. It mean, was
3: ridiculous. And the artwork was definitely not, you know, your cookie cutter shit that I was used to from when I was a kid. Um, So I went and found a comic book store. I mean, I'd I'd been to comic book stores before, but you know, I was still kind of into Batman and Archie, but this time I went and, look, I I didn't really pay that much attention to what comic book stores were, but now I'm, but now I'm 26 years old and I go in there and like, this place was a comic book store. It was Monkeys Retreat. It's one of the oldest comic book stores in the country. I think it only recently closed its doors. Mm. And maybe that's not, maybe, that may not be true. Rosie, I'm sorry, if you're still open somewhere, man. Um, but I went in and it was exactly like what the comic book store was in The Simpsons. Yeah. There, was, <laughs> there was cats, cats on the back order books, piles. <laughs> uh, there was books about uh, tattoos, and there was all sorts of paraphernalia, bongs and pipes, and everything you could everything you could want.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: There was heavy metal copies going back since the beginning. So, and there I got, and there I did. I bought the, I bought that Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, but I also discovered this section where there was Cerebus by Dave Sim, Eight Ball by Dan Klaus, the Hernandez brothers with Eleven Rockets, and a few others. But I looked at that and I thought, motherfucker, this is <laughs> as good, this is the stuff I'm looking at right here, the artwork, the stories, it's as good as the golden age of the newspaper comic strip. This is like going back when Steve Canyon and Milton Kniff were in charge when Dick Tracy ruled. This is it. Mm -hmm. This is going on and nobody knows about it. I mean, Frank Miller's Dark Knight, people were hearing about. But I was like, I went home to Vijaya, showed her the comics. And I said, I need to sell my animation studio to my partners. And I'm going to go make an underground comic book. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, let's have a little talk about that.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, and basically, you know, I told her my I had a plan. She agreed with it. But she said your business plan needs a little work. So we did work on that. I actually wrote a business plan. We went to a, a, a real-life bank. We had figured out ahead of time how much we wanted. I, I had to learn about the distribution system and all the comic books, uh non-returnable stores and their deals and i had to figure that all out Mm -hmm. uh and then i had to make a comic so then i I had to sit down and draw the comic and i actually drew the first one before i'd actually sold this 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 studio to my partners Mm -hmm. so they actually saw like the first two i think maybe three and it worked they were totally also supportive and on my side and were, you know, they'd read my comic um, while, while I was doing it, I'd bring it in and show it to them and they'd be like, Oh, you should do this. Uh, they probably should have got a writing credit. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get into like what it is like to do like a hard reset on all of these characters. Cause you, you develop these characters, through the strip, but now you want to turn this into a real, like a story, like a real comic. Yeah. What did it feel like to do a hard reset? And then what were some of the lessons that you learned from the strip, either good lessons or bad lessons that you transferred now into this new endeavor?
3: That's a good question. Um, I, I, it felt good mm-hmm. when I did it, when I started it. Because I went through, I, would, I made comics for probably 3 or 4 years for the syndicates so no one ever saw them except me and one syndicate editor
0: Which unless he should Heartbreaking.
3: Done. Yeah it was heartbreaking and I had, I had I had boxes of this stuff um and at one point uh the lantern actually wanted me to come back
0: mm-hmm. I
3: I left uh and they actually asked me to come back and I so the very last quarter of my school year was it was really it was Foam Boat and Thorn meet each other again <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> those scripts are in there uh, but I had tons of them there's so many versions of Foam Boat and Thorn meeting in the woods
0: uh-huh.
3: and some and a lot of them are terrible mm-hmm. But uh, so I learned a lot d- during that period um, but it felt great because it is, it is what I want to do and, it, and I never really committed to it I didn't realize this Because I thought I was telling that story. But I was easily distracted if I thought of something funny or I wanted to talk about something else. And and this was weird. When you read these comic strips, you're going to go, wow, it's Bone. But everybody, everybody's completely aware that they're in a comic strip. Mm -hmm. The Bones, Thorn, even Grandma seems to know Mm -hmm. she's in a comic strip. And Thorn, at one point, She even plays a joke on phony bone to get revenge on him. And she actually goes out of the comic strip and talks to the student editors of the lantern that quarter. (laughs) They actually posed for me and I drew them. and, but Thorne's out in the real world in the J building. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she's, she's as aware of their non-existence as anybody. She's a comic strip, but I realize I don't know if I would call it a mistake. Uh, I might have called it a mistake before, but in, now that in retrospect, I see that it was just a different it was just a different fabric
0: mm-hmm.
3: for the strip. And I'm awfully glad that it turned into a real story. So it wasn't as hard to do emotionally as it probably would seem like it would be because that's what I always wanted.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And I didn't know how to do it yet. Fortunately, I was I, I, am, I can't, I'm funny. I can do jokes. Yeah. So that 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 got me through. But then uh, learning. But then but then I had to actually make a, a comic book. I, I've never done that before. You get a whole different grid you're working with. I hadn't really read comic books since I was middle school or elementary school even. So I, I it, it, there was a lot to learn. I had to figure out you know how to. I wanted. To, I started in the beginning. I'll try to tell a joke per page, mm-hmm. so that each page has some kind of payoff, mm-hmm. and that worked pretty well. Um, but then sometimes there were some jokes in the comic. I was like, you yeah, know, that was too fast. If I had like a couple more pages and could spread that out a little bit, that would be a, that would be awesome. And I started doing that. So so there was a whole new learning curve, uh, and I just I don't know why, but looking back on it, I wasn't afraid of that or or intimidated by that at all. I was just like, I didn't know any better when I just jumped into the lantern and started and learned how to do a comic strip. So I just did the same thing. I just, well, I got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just wanted to make sure, you know, every four pages or so, I want to make sure, well, make sure those four pages are good. So it wasn't, I didn't, it was exciting. It felt like I was finally really doing what I always wanted artistically. So I, I didn't have, I didn't feel pressure or questions. I was like, I'm free. This is it. I had a great run at the Lantern. I learned everything that I can about the art form, and of course, I have some new new panel grids to work out. I have to work out you know, how to time the larger uh, scenes, but I didn't mind doing it. I was excited the whole time and it just couldn't have been there. Hmm.
2: You know, I remember when the final issues were wrapping up bone and I was so excited, but also somewhat depressed that bone was coming to a conclusion. And, you know, I would, uh, what 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 is and, and what I wish I could do is I wish I could go back in time and be like actually don't be that depressed because Jeff Smith's gonna return to Boneville and he's, <laughs> these characters are never going to be too far away from Jeff Smith or you as a reader Brad because here we are now we're talking about finally seeing these uh, thorn strips from the lantern. I mean, it's a dream that Lisa and I have wanted to, that, that we've shared for a long time. And you've also recently put out more tall tales, like new bone stories are still happening. And I guess a good way to wrap this up is to ask, like, is that the plan? Do you see yourself periodically returning to bone in small ways? Even if the big epic is over and done with, I,
3: I did not. I really thought, even if I was finishing Bone, I also felt, you know, some, you know, some connection to it that was about to be broken, and I knew that. But on the other hand, it was a gigantic project yeah. that I really stuck to, and I missed some deadlines, so I get a lot of shit about. <laughs> uh, he only put them out every now and then. I stuck to this, I stuck to that schedule pretty close for 12 years. And I was, I was excited to get to the end. I, I was, I, I was tired, but oh, I could not wait to put, you know, I was collecting the books. Well, you know, I had like eight books and I had one more book to put together. There was a, it was nine it was nine graphic novels total when I was doing the black and white comic myself. And I couldn't wait to put that last one on the shelf. I couldn't wait. And I always planned the big one, the big giant knocker, but I had no idea how big it was going to (laughs) be. And I'll tell you, if there were printing techniques that came into existence right when I needed them, Mm. New glues were developed. They were actually being developed for school textbooks, math books and stuff like that. But you couldn't have made a a paper, trade paperback that big. Yeah. Two years before, one year before I did it. So it was really, again, the excitement was tinged with nervousness, but never anything scary, just like, whoo, what's going to happen? And I just for some reason I always knew it was going to work, and I I mean that's not true in other, any other area of my life. <laughs> I never I never know if something's going to work. Um, but anyway, it, yes. In conclusion, I I survived ending my comic. I love my characters. They they have come back, and I and I will. I don't have time left. Obviously, now that I've had a heart attack. Uh, I'm, I'm not, there's no, there's not going to be a sequel <laughs> like that. But I, I am enjoying, I can't stop drawing them. I mean, Foam Bone has been with me for so long. He's going to be with me forever.
1: Like, Bone is one of those stories that we just own in every iteration. We have the volumes. We have, um, we have it digitally, weirdly. We have the scholastics. But my preferred reading version is the big paperback chunk where it just, where it just feels like infinity when you're, when you're reading it, it's so satisfying. And I love, um, on the dedication page, it says this book is for Vijaya. I think about like, what does it mean when you dedicate a comic coming from like a religious background? When I think like, (laughs) I think of it as like, a you know, when you are suffering, like you offer it up, you offer up your suffering. You're like, I'm so, you know, uh, I'm offering this up for Christ on the cross. Like that, That, like <laughs> I did all of this work and now, and now I'm offering it up. Like, can you talk a little bit about like what it is like to dedicate a book?
2: Especially the one volume.
1: Especially this big chonker of bone.
3: It's, uh, the dedicated book is, it's very fun. And it's also an acknowledgement of people that have been important to you growing up, to you uh, as you're as you're working, uh, and w- I didn't dedicate the individual comics, but I did dedicate the, you know, the our graphic novels, you know, the Out from Boneville, the Great Cow Race, and all that. And I started right off the bat to the jail. There's there is no one else for that, but um, and, and she's got a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> But I, but, they, but I also remember, you know, my parents, you got to do your parents. I did do Jim Cameroon, who was my best friend, a cartooning buddy, still is to this day. I, have, You know, I had some cousins that played an important role when I was, I had to run around the country and somehow they helped me. So it, so it's, it's, it was just something to say, hey, thank you for being there when I needed you.
2: Well, Jeff. Uh as of this recording, we have 14 days left on the Thorn Kickstarter. We're looking to unlock those goodies. Uh, we uh, have backed it ourselves. We're eagerly anticipating finally getting this book in our hands. And we just want to say, you know, thank you for all the comics and thank you for the conversation.
3: Hey, you guys are a very fun podcast couple. And it's really fun to look at what you guys are doing when it has nothing to do with me. You guys, <laughs> you guys are crazy. In a good
0: way.
1: (laughs) We're having literally the best time.
0: That is absolutely And
3: it looks like it. It looks like it. Thank you, guys. As always, it was wonderful to talk to you. And I look forward to doing it again and seeing you, if I ever get back out on the road, seeing you again.
2: When you're on that road, we will see you on that road. Take care.
1: We'll insist on um, martinis.
2: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. And there you go, our Empire Strikes Back conversation with Jeff Smith. Turns
1: out he was our father the whole time.
2: What a twist. The Thorn Kickstarter is currently up and running. You have 11 days left to back it. Like we said at the beginning, we are in stretch goal territory. You're going to want one of those bone evolution prints, one of those Thorn evolution prints. I mean, I certainly want that. So if I want that, I need you to back this project so I can get it. But then you'll also get it.
1: I want to go back in the conversation to where I was like, you know, like... (laughs) I was like, you can't give writing advice because your entire career is built on an a great idea you had when you were 5 <laughs> and not all of us are like that lucky. But I think like my takeaway from talking to Jeff and it also like ties together with the end of our conversation when I was like, you know, what was it like doing the hard reset going into doing the stapled comic? And he was like, well, you know, I wasn't scared because I didn't know any better. And that, that is the thing that I feel like as an individual, like I'm lacking. Like, I feel like since the time he was a little kid, he just like believed in his ideas. And I and I am a person, like I was born with a little saboteur in my brain who's like, that's dumb, that's embarrassing. Um, wanting to have a creative life and a creative career is like selfish or whatever. So it's hard for me to get momentum on anything because part of me, like at least 30% of me doesn't believe in it at all times.
2: I think we both have that saboteur inside of us. And I think what we're trying to do now is kill that person. Yeah. (laughs) Is kill that saboteur, ignore that person, lock them away.
1: And embrace the idea that there are take backs. Like you can create an entire comic strip series and then go, okay, I take that back. Now, Here is my next iteration of that same idea.
2: But I think what's important that I wouldn't want to skip over is that he completed Thorne. Yes, right. Like he had a finished thought and then tweaked it into Bone. He had to get out his quote unquote bad comics before he could create his good comics. We need to put out our bad material before we can create good material. And that saboteur is a critic. And maybe that's the problem is that we're thinking in terms of good or bad. You just need to create and it's on others to determine if it's good or bad. We need to shut up about ourselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like I might never get to Jeff Smith's like, I didn't know any better, but I need to get to what makes me think I know better? Like, yeah. how can I, before I complete my thought, know that it's already a bad thought? Why not just make the thing you wanna make and then let the world decide if it's good or bad?
2: Because it's scary, Lisa, yeah. it's scary. But we're brave, we're brave and we can do it, we can create as long as we shut up that saboteur.
1: Talking about good ideas that deserve to be out in the world, Juniba has another book, it is Mobilis, it is brilliant, and we talk to him about it in an upcoming episode.
2: He's having a great fall. Not only does he have Mobilis, but he also has the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre out from Dark Horse Comics, and we get a little chatter in about that book as well. And following on the heels of that conversation will be a conversation with Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Mayleave talking about their new Dark Horse Comics series, Masterpiece.
1: Some more exciting things that are coming up, we mentioned it at the beginning of the show, but don't forget, December 3rd at 4 p.m., Flash Gordon at the Alamo Drafthouse Winchester. It is being co-hosted by Faye from Psycho Cinema, And co-sponsored by Four Color Fantasies.
2: Tickets are on sale now. Link in the show notes.
1: And for those who haven't checked it out already, our Patreon digital shop is now open. So if you don't want the level of commitment of like subscribing, paying every month for our Patreon feed, but you do want to check us out, that is a really great alternative option. Okay, Brad, um, I got to get out of here. I have to go place a bet on a mystery cow. (laughs) Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
2: You can find me on most social medias at Mouthdork. If you have some words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you?
1: I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes.
2: If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast.
1: You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod.
2: So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full.
1: And your psychic rapport open. Doopie doopie bum, bum, ba-da-da, so Brad, Yeah. what is your referral? What a hard word to say.
0: Referral. <laughs> Referrals.
1: <laughs>